Well, hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to Childless Not By Choice, where my mission is to recognize and speak to the Childless Not By Choice women and men around the world. Savilla Morgan here. I am spreading the great news that we can live a joyful, relevant, and fulfilled life, although we did not have the children we so wanted. Welcome to episode 115. That's 115. Welcome to the first episode of 2020, and welcome to 2020, you guys. Uh, we are in heading into our fifth year of podcasting. There was a little break in October and November where I posted no new episodes, and uh, I think it would have been the best break ever as, well, I continued to work behind the scenes anyway. And so at any rate, I want to just thank you for joining us for episode 115. This is an interview episode, and I can't wait for you to hear the story and the plans for this new entrant and business and platform to the Childless Not By Choice demographic. So before we get to that, though, before we get to our interview, I want to thank my Patreon contributors. I would also like to thank those who are giving financially, whether it's through Patreon or through giving without letting anybody know who you are. Thank you to those who want to be anonymous. I appreciate your giving anyway. And I do want to name my patrons, though. I want to thank Jordan Morgan, Sandra Carzado, and the Knights, Olive and Alphonse Knight. Thank you guys so much for being patrons and for giving to a platform that's trying to get the word out globally that there's a whole demographic living in plain sight. You might not think that we're here because sometimes we try to hide out, but those of you who get it, get that we need to get the word out globally that although we did not have children, we are still desiring and deserving of a place at the table. So thank you to the patrons who helped pay monthly to make the get the word out. So I have a guest, as I said earlier. I have Ms. Dr. I should say, Krista Cooper. Krista Cooper, PhD, LLMSW. She is a native of Hartford, Connecticut, of Jamaican heritage. She attended Oakwood College in Huntsville, Alabama, where her love of languages and the written word resulted in a change of major from pre-med to English and Spanish. While at Oakwood, she also studied for a year at Colegio Adventista in Sagunto, Spain. I think I got that. <laughs> After <laughs> obtaining her Bachelor of Arts degree in English and Spanish, Dr. Cooper obtained her Master of Science, I'm sorry, Master of Social Work from the University of Michigan. After graduation, she worked as an intake and assessment social worker in the Children and Families Division, as well as working as a substance misuse social worker in the United Kingdom. Other areas of work experience include geriatric populations and mental health work with children and adults. In 2012, prior to the completion of her doctoral studies, Dr. Cooper accepted an assistant professor of social work position at Andrews University. While there and completing her dissertation, she began experiencing several health and life challenges related to uterine fibroids. 
This sparked an interest in exploring in more depth the experiences of women living with reproductive health challenges. Upon completion of her doctoral studies in 2014 and her own subsequent healing process, Dr. Cooper applied for a grant that would allow her to explore the aforementioned area. She was granted funding for research entitled Identity and Experience, the Lives of Women Living with Symptomatic Uterine Fibroids. Results from the study and its focus on individuals' story prompted her to start Reproductively Yours LLC, which we will be talking about more in, in just a moment, which focuses on reducing the stigma associated with women's reproductive narratives through education, story work, creativity, and community building. Her greatest desire is for women that currently live or have lived with reproductive health challenges to know that they, we are not alone. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cooper. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here. We've, we've spoken several times before. And yes. I hope you don't mind if I just call you Krista. <laughs> no, that is absolutely fine. <laughs> okay, thank you. We've, we've had the great opportunity to, to speak several times before this recording and I've just mm -hmm. enjoyed every conversation that we have had and I'm just so glad now that we can share you with our platform and with the world. So once again, thanks for taking the time to be here. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. Yeah. So let's get started. <laughs> you uh, finally, according to one of the conversations we had, <laughs> <laughs> gave, gave into the prompting you felt in your heart to start your business. Yeah. And, uh, and we talked about this just before recording just now too. Yeah. Open-ended question. What are your dreams for this business? What types of people are you hoping to help? And where do you see yourself and your business by the end of 2020? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. Okay. So, uh, first question, what was the first question? <laughs> well, the first part of that three-part question, I do this yes. all the time. People are like, really, Savilla? <laughs> Can you just ask one question at a time? But I, I grouped it together. So, you finally gave into the prompting, you know, yes. that you felt in your heart to start your business. So, okay, number one, what are your dreams for this business? So, the biggest dream that I have for, for the business is for women to know that they're not alone. Um, who have faced reproductive um, health challenges and trauma because it can be a very, very isolating experience. So my greatest desire is that one, women will not know that they are not alone and they'll know that they're not alone because they'll have a community of women. Okay, that, that's perfect. That sounds yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And then um, the second part of that question is, well, you, you answered that too. You said, what types of people are you hoping to help? And so mm -hmm. where do you see, by, by, by the end of 2020, just one year later, where do mm. you see your business, where your platform? I would like to hold um, a series of events uh, for women, including what I'm going to call reproductive slams. So just like how we have poetry slams, mm -hmm. um, we can have a story time for women, a platform for women to be able to come and to share their individual stories. Um, thereby promoting, you know, uh, community building, but also an online platform where women can come to the Instagram, Facebook page, 
um, get education and information about different reproductive health challenges where women can can also again because my big thing is really community mm-hmm. again be able to interact with each other um, and also to um, do some public speaking and um, you know workshops so okay. that's kind of where that sounds good yeah so one of the things we also <laughs> talked about was the fact that the cost of the average IVF cycle is about ten thousand mm. dollars right Yes. And so um, that was a prompt for you to start your company as well, correct? Yeah, in the in the doctor's office. (laughs) Yes. Um, So back in 20, gosh, years just go, I think it was 2016 or 2017. I had gotten some lab work done after a visit to, to the UK to visit some friends. And as you mentioned, I had several, several uh, health challenges related to to uterine fibroids and went into the doctor's office because I was starting to to bleed heavily again. And I thought, oh no, here we go again. Mm -hmm. And the lab work indicated that there were some things that needed to be checked out, but the doctor basically wanted me to go to the reproductive endocrinologist to talk about freezing my eggs. And so I went, had seen this physician prior some years prior, but hadn't seen him for some time. And so I had to wait an hour for him. And while I waited for him, um, I was just scrolling mindlessly through Facebook and a friend of mine posted something by Tracy Ellis Ross, and I'll never forget it. I don't really remember much of what she said, except this one line where she said, you are where you should be. And I lost it. Mm. I was in a in an office it was white colored walls um and there were all these babies posted on the wall um and i thought really okay i feel like i'm like the butt of a joke right now <laughs> and i got really angry and um my faith and my spirituality are very important to me And I was taking a little hiatus from God at that point (laughs) Um, because I was, I was, I was really upset with him. I mean, I was just, I was livid actually because this isn't the life that I had signed up for. And, um, you know, so I'm sitting in the office and anyone who knows me knows that I walk around with at least two journals at any given time with a number of pens. And so I whipped out a pen and a journal and I decided that I was going to talk through God, to God through writing. And I unloaded everything that was in my, in my heart, um, how heartbroken I was, the fact that, you know, I was in this office surrounded by babies talking about freezing my eggs and my body was doing things that I didn't want it to be doing. And so just as I finished and um, there was an, a nice, uh, pile of Kleenex that had accumulated (laughs) next to me the doctor walks in and you know it was very impersonal oh well your lab results indicate you know blah 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 you know that type of thing but not really connecting with me and he wasn't even no empathy and he wasn't even looking at me you know he was looking at the chart he was looking at the computer screen and um you know I I finally said to him, because he, he would explain things to me, he was explaining that I, you know, well, you could do IVF, but your anti-malarian, you know, results are indicating that your egg reserves are really low, so we probably won't get any, and, um, or they'll be very poor quality, 
and you know there's all this medical terminology and I remember he asked me if I understood and I said um I think you know I count myself as being able to you know to to follow along and and educate myself so yes of course I understand what you're saying but my heart doesn't understand and I said you're talking about my hopes my dreams my life but I feel as if you're sitting across from me very disconnected and it's 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 difficult for me this is really really hard for me and um he kind of looked a little shocked <laughs> you know, at first, um, but then kind of slowed down and, and was talking to me. Um, but by then, I think I was so turned off by the whole thing. And so the nurse subsequently came in and I asked her, I said, I'm going to ask you a question in two roles. I said, um, I'm a researcher. Um, I'm a professor, but I also I'm a woman that is living, you know, and has lived with for some time, some reproductive health, you know, challenges. And I'm in a room surrounded by babies on the wall. These are supposed to be, you know, sort of the, the product of, of your handiwork, right? With IVF and, you know, doing all this. I said, but um, when women come here, nobody comes here for kicks. Nobody just says, oh, you know what, I'm going to go to the reproductive endocrinologist today um, and have you inject me with things and, and retrieve my eggs and, and, you know, maybe this cycle won't work. And um, do I have $10,000 to pay just for one cycle or, you know, am I going to have money to pay for another one, right? I said, these aren't things that people just do lightly. And so I said, one, do you have counseling services available for women? And families, right? Because they're, you know, some women are connected to families, they're married, etc. And two, I'm wondering why the demographic represented on the wall doesn't look like me. Mm. And so she went on to tell me that they did have counseling. And I said, Really? Where? Um, and she said, Well, we have somebody come in. I can't even remember how many times a week. I said, Well, how come I wasn't given that information? because I've been here before and I've never seen that. And she says, oh, that's a really good thing to bring up at our meeting. So insert eye roll at that point. And so then um, she, I asked her what percentage of the population that they serve were black or African-American. <laughs> and she said, oh, you know, we have an Indian couple. And I thought basic demographics have escaped you. So I said, okay, so I'm going to ask you again. And she looked at me and she was quiet for a minute and said, we don't really, you know, have anybody of that demographic. And I said, well, don't you ever wonder why? And she kind of got really quiet, you know? So after that, I don't know what she said to the doctor, but I was in line getting ready to check out. And I was barely holding myself together. And I had a, a like a three o'clock class to teach. And I was thinking to myself, how am I going to pull myself together to go and teach this, this class? And the doctor came out and he um, rubbed my back and kind of said, you know, I'm so sorry. And I just really wanted none of it, you know, at that point. But I remember thinking, if I feel this way, I know that there are millions of women 
and, and families, you know, and spouses who are standing by or partners, right, that feel helpless, you know, as they're watching their, their partner or their, or their spouse. And, you know, women who just think, oh, my goodness, you know, it's, it's, it's a very hard thing to go through. And it's something that we, that's so stigmatized. Right. You think that you can. Um, there are so many images of women that are plastered everywhere on TV, you know, on posters, on the Internet. Right. We have no problem sexualizing women, but yet we have a, a real problem talking about our bodies in general. And then what happens when things, you know, quote unquote, don't go, you know, or don't work the way they're supposed to. When they go right? awry. Or they go awry you know, and, but yet we have no problem with the former, right? So I, at that point, you know, I was standing there and I just felt something kind of within me just say, that's where you come in. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just going to be angry, <laughs> you know, about this. Yeah. And so that was sort of the beginning of the prompting for me. So the prompting, the faith and childlessness, the Christian yeah. community, the nutrition and self-care, the mm -hmm. understanding who you are and who God created you to be. And mm -hmm. um, the fact that like Tracy Ellis Ross, and I, I think I, I'm thinking about the same reading that or the recording that you're talking about, mm -hmm. because I remember when that came out, it was being shared and reshared all over the internet. Mm -hmm. So um, several people reshared it to me in the group, in my Facebook group the women in the child is not by choice with Seville mm -hmm. Morgan group. And so I'm like, yeah, thanks for sharing. I've, I've, I've seen it. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the, the reproductive health challenges and reproductive mm -hmm. health trauma, mm -hmm. and now you have reproductively yours. Yes. And so I was intrigued by the list of people and issues you wanted to, or have researched. And mm -hmm. so you're, you're doing research and correct me if I'm wrong, but based on the notes I took when we talked the first time, mm -hmm. you're researching Afro-Caribbean women living with HIV, for instance, or just being a woman or being an immigrant or being a Black female immigrant. Um, and I think you said the majority of the women that you, you've interviewed are Jamaican or Trinidadian. So that was my dissertation okay. research. Yeah. So when I was working on my PhD, I was interested in HIV mm -hmm. um, and noticed that in the literature there were there you know were articles and research about African-American populations and other populations and some with Afro-Caribbean but mainly done in the Caribbean mm -hmm. at the at the time that I was researching it so this is probably 2006 2007 okay. and um, I noticed that within the U.S., it seems like there were there was less work being done with this particular demographic, and I subsequently found out it's because of grouping. So you know, um, Afro-Caribbean get lumped in with Black or African American, right? Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of teasing out, or, or at least at that time, of the data to represent that particular demographic. So I decided that I wanted to to research Afro-Caribbean immigrant women. And I did that research in the New York metropolitan area. And it took me, some of my committee members thought I was <laughs> crazy. Um, I had them, you know, saying, why don't you just do African-Americans? And I said, because I don't want to. 
you know, I'm very interested in this particular demographic. My family's from Jamaica. Um, I can just remember being in Jamaica, you know, um, during my formative years, early teenage years, and um, just noticing some of the taboos that existed um, within within Jamaican culture, which seemed quite paradoxical, actually, um, you know, about sexuality and what it meant to be a female and um, how you express yourself or don't express yourself with your body. But yet blaring all around me was very explicit music, um, you know, that was talking very much about the female form and, and, and sexuality. And so it was very paradoxical. I can be, remember being about nine, asking my mom questions. And, you know, it was like she would break out into Patua and, you know, start telling me about how nosy I was and <laughs> fishing me and, you know, things like that. Um, so I think I've always been a bit inquisitive, especially about things that um, are, are stigmatized. And so I, when I came to this topic, I really wanted to do it out of, out of, out of curiosity, you know, and out of what are these women's lives like? And it took me a long time to even reach the demographic, probably about three years. Um, and then, you know, then there was the actual research. So that was for my dissertation. And then subsequently, after going through my health challenges, um, over a number of years, they reached a fever pitch, probably right around the time that I graduated. You know, I was, I was just um, in the doctor. I was scheduling my appointments around when I was teaching because I was at the doctor so often. Um, and after I had gone through two surgeries, um, I thought and started talking to other women and realizing, hey, you too, I didn't realize you were having this issue, you know, and I thought, well, if there's so many of us, you know, that are, why aren't we talking about this? And so, yeah, coupled with my former experience, I thought, okay, it's time to, to start something. Yeah, it's amazing how there, there. I mean, there are over seven billion people on this planet. Mm. Do you know how many <laughs> millions of us are dealing with this, but we just, we just can't get to talk about it because oh. we've just we've been shamed. Society yeah. has shamed us, and um, that's why your platform is so important, and so many of the other childless, not by choice platforms that are are all over the planet right now that are just popping up like popcorn mm. all over the planet. That's why those of us who are willing to not be shamed so that mm -hmm. we can help ourselves and others because i was talking to somebody the other day and um she was telling me that she was getting ready and and this woman has children but she's getting ready to have mm -hmm. a hysterectomy mm -hmm. and um i i thought she knew i had had one but um it's, it's no big secret and see if i had still been keeping it a secret yeah i, I remember and i don't remember if it was my pastor's wife who said something like, um, if you, if you, nobody can accuse you of your secrets or hold your secrets over your head if they're no longer secrets, yeah. something to that effect. And yeah. I remember thinking, cause she's, she said, oh, I didn't know you had a hysterectomy. And I said, well, it's all over my, my platform and on my podcast, <laughs> I talk about right. it all the time. And I remember yeah. thinking, I felt so powerful in that moment. Not that I, I had anything over her or I made her feel bad or anything. That wasn't the intent, but yeah. I suppose I was, I was still holding on to that inside my heart like I did for so many years. Mm. The fact that I was having 
fibroid issues and accidents. And we talked about this accident oh, every yes. month and hiding it, trying to hide it, thinking I was hiding it. And yeah. I suppose I was still hiding it. But no, I boldly said, well, I do talk about it on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's a power to that. There's a yeah. power to being able to be able to hold on to um, yourself and to encourage yourself and to be who you are, mm. no matter what you did or did not get out of life. There's nothing more powerful than that. And so the other thing I thought about when you were talking about yeah. why they try to, society tries to lump all black people together. Mm. We don't have a problem with being black. It's who we are, but there are nuances yeah. between an African-American black woman and a West Indian black woman and a yeah. Brazilian black woman and a, a United Kingdom black woman. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. There are nuances and I don't think that they should be ignored. And I'm glad that you stood up and said, no, I want to, I want to talk to this particular portion and research this particular portion of the, the diaspora. And mm. so I'm glad that you stood up for that. And not just because I'm West Indian too, but <laughs> even within people, and people don't know this because people think that Jamaica is the only island. island. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that really crazy? Yeah. Crazy. yeah, yeah but yeah. even in the Caribbean, there's well over what, 100, 200 islands in the Caribbean. Mm. Even from one island to the next, there are nuances. Yeah, differences, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know? Absolutely. So I'm just glad. I was just really kind of glad to hear you say, no, I want to pick out this particular these particular islands the the jamaicans and the trinidadians or and whoever mm -hmm. else you chose mm -hmm. because um sometimes we can fall through the cracks in other ways not just in our childlessness yeah so, yeah anyway i just wanted to um to, to to mention that a little bit so speaking of the the fibroids yeah um you and i had our conversation about our horrific experiences with oh, yeah. <laughs> oh geez yes <laughs> being in the car out of the car having accidents oh, and women that were having accidents all over the place yeah. but then you told me and I don't I don't even remember I remember when my iron level was seven at one time mm. and it, your iron should be right around 12 and you told <sighs> me that your iron was so low it was difficult for you to breathe I'm like oh my goodness you, you know, know the other the other day i was going to another doctor's appointment for some you know something not related to this but i had to look through my records because i was preparing you know for the appointment and i came across that it was um you know it said that my ferritin was a 4.2 mm. and i thought to myself wow like i'm looking at it you know all these years later and i thought point two yeah and, and it makes absolute sense you know when we understand our bodies physiologically and how they work you know it 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 makes it so much clearer how startling that is you know um your, your ferritin your hemoglobin your hematocrit you know i i had so many tests done so often that i was really able to kind of start looking at the you know all the little abbreviations that they have and knowing, mm -hmm. you know, what, what they, they were. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? But you know, you're like, okay, I need to understand this. But my heart, I think just being able to look back um, to 20, you know, those years, mm -hmm. 20, 2012 through 20, 
14 and just have compassion on myself and see how much I was pushing myself um, to work, to do all the things just to survive that we do on a day-to-day basis, but understanding how ill I was, you know, and the lack of compassion that I had for myself then, because, you know, again, it's just, you know, grit your teeth and bury, you know, just kind of get on with life and, no, we deserve to be treated with gentleness and kindness, um, most importantly, by our, from ourselves, right? Um, because the world isn't going to do it for us all the time. Or in my case, I moved to a state where I, I don't, I didn't and don't, because I'm still here, um, have family. And so I remember going through my first surgery, you know, they tell you, you can't, you shouldn't pick up stuff, you shouldn't, you know, those things, you shouldn't sleep and mop. Mm -hmm. And I had nobody here. Mm -hmm. So I had nobody here. So I was doing that stuff by myself, you know, and just crying, uh, falling asleep in my parking lot after I had pulled up to my house, because again, your iron is, it was so low. So I just was, was falling asleep right, left and center, you know, because I, my body just did not have what it needed. Um, and even the IV iron that they were giving me, as quick as they could put it in my body is as quick as it was coming out, mm. you know? So I think those are the experiences you show up to work or you show up to class, you know, in my case, to my classes or to meetings and people look at you. And that was one of the things from my most recent study, you know, is sort of like um, this invisibility. So because people can't necessarily see it, mm-hmm they assume you're okay, right? They, they assume that because, you, you know, you're dressed up, you look just like everybody else, right? But you're, you're hoping and praying. You know, I used to make, like, deals with myself, like, okay, if you can stand up for 30 minutes without, <laughs> you know, without, without moving too much to the left or to the right, you know, um, maybe you'll be okay, that type of thing but it's going on. It's happening. Um, I don't know if you've seen, you know, Meghan Markle's interview, uh, recently that was done and the reporter asked her, are you okay? And she said, you know, people don't ask me if I'm okay. So thank you for asking that. But just being a woman, whether you've just given birth, whether you're going through postpartum depression, whether you are hemorrhaging to death from, uterine fibroids or whatever we don't get asked that a lot you know are you okay how are you doing meanwhile you're you're cleaning up your accident or right Mm -hmm. and you have to turn back around and go to work like nothing has happened huge accidents too yeah yeah huge accidents it just made me remember an accident i had at church not the church i'm going to now it was another church years ago and one of my friends who's now departed from this world, God bless her. Uh, she took the she took the chair I'd had the accident and then moved it aside and she mm. just helped me get cleaned up because yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's that's why it, it is so community is so important. It's so important. And being able to have somebody that you trust to that extent yes. is so important because it helps it does really help alleviate the shame that society can put on you when you just think you're all alone and it's only happening to you. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So yeah, I've, I've had the IV iron too. I've had to leave work and go to the doctor and get mm-hmm. the IV iron and just sit there and, and just sit there for hours, a couple of hours. Yeah. The iron goes in, you know, 
oh my goodness but people don't see it they don't see that behind the scenes like what's happening i used to have a schedule i would grade papers i would bring my my work and i would grade papers while i was doing it now i'm like you should have thrown those papers away (laughs) you know and just let yourself be cared for but again i think that um, we're not, ta- that's one thing that I'm really passionate about. And I try to work with my students so much for this about self-care. It's become a real buzzword, you know, right now. And, you know, it conjures up these visits, these visions of going to spas and getting your feet done, mm-hmm. all expensive things. But really, I think self-care is a mindset. Oh, yeah. And it's asking yourself, you know, do you believe that you are worthy of being nourished of being cared for of you know taking the time that you need for yourself irrespective of whether anybody else understands um that you are a human being and by virtue of you just existing that you are precious and and you know you you have value I think those are the things that we, um, especially as women, are not taught. We're taught that our value is in what we do mm-hmm. um, or what we can produce, if that's offspring or, you know, we're good at work or we're good wives or, or good, you know, daughters or what you just, you can go on and on and on. But it's this external, you know, the things that we can, we can produce rather than who we are as people. And so self-care means just sitting down in your office, like where I'm recording you now, I'm in my office Yeah. and this is my oasis and I come in and I close the door and I sometimes just sit here in the comfortable office chair that was gifted to me by my brother years ago. And I can sit in this chair and think, remember my brother gave me this chair. I could look Mm -hmm. at the pictures on my table because mm. people may think that's simple, but there are some people who, and we were talking about earlier about being that crazy busy, that you can't even sit down and look at the pictures on your desk no. yeah. and think about your family and look at your family members. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's self-care. That's giving yeah. your brain some time to calm down and mm-hmm. your heart rate to calm down. And yes. Just a little, it, just, it doesn't take much. Like you said, it doesn't take all the expensive no. spa things. No. It just means just relaxing for a few minutes and telling people that I'm in my office. Don't call me. (laughs) I'll call you. (laughs) But just, and they think you're in there working and you might just be sitting here for five minutes thinking, okay, this is my break. Turning your phone off. Turn the phone off. Turn the phone off. You know, I don't want to hear the bing, you know, of my phone. I don't want to see my phone light up. Um, Breathing. That's one thing that I do with, with, um, you know, with clients and, and students, especially, how are you breathing? Do you notice how you're breathing? Because breathing helps you be in your body, right? So if your, your mind is off, you're, you know, we like to multitask and think we're being really productive, but um, just stopping and saying, I didn't realize that in my intake of breath, it, my hand is shaking, right? Because I'm breathing, I'm breathing shallow, or you know, um, just taking that time just to inhale and exhale, inhale and just exhale, just be, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be doing anything, just sit there. Um, That is self-care. And it's not easy for most people. No, it's not. But that is definitely self-care. 
but we have just one or two more questions but I, I have a quote here and I don't remember if it was something that you found as you were doing your research or a quote you got from somewhere but you can you can let us know but I have it in quotes the best research is research where the results lead back to yourself oh <laughs> that, yours? that was your quote right I think so I think I had seen it in um and again, anybody, this work is so seminal, Basil van der Kolk, um, he is a trauma, trauma specialist, does really amazing work. Um, he has a book called The Body Keeps Score, and I think that's where I saw it um, in there. I read that book, and it's pretty revolutionary um, in talking about how our bodies hold trauma and understanding how our experiences, um, you know, how our experiences, we, we embody them literally we embody them they're held there and unless we know how to um you know how to channel some of that energy and um and understand ourselves through through our bodies then they get trapped the experiences get trapped and i think that quote was powerful when i saw it um in the book because it's true and i felt that in my experience of so this this most recent uh, research that i'm doing with women uh, with uterine fibroids, I found that out that it led me right back to myself, and I didn't think that it would. It was very startling. It was very surprising because we're taught to be detached. You know, when you're working on your PhD, it's sort of like you're the researcher, and like you know. But really, I think that the, the best research does. Mm. Yeah, it really amazing. does. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. That um, that really you know just to, i'm gonna have to do some research on that author then yeah. and the, the author's name i'll see if i can get a link in the show notes to that um you said what was the author's name basil basil vanderkolk vanderkolk yeah okay. yeah okay. i'll have to see if i can find anything and link it in the show notes but um the last question i have for you um you said you're working on writing a paper that includes the arts so mm -hmm. can you tell us any more about the paper and, and how you're looking to use art on your mm. platform? Yeah, so essentially um, what you're referring to is the research that I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. So I've collected the data and I am analyzing and, and the next part is, is bringing it back to the participants to get their feedback on the results that I've come up with. But one of the questions that I asked in the research is if they had a blank canvas and they could depict their experience what would it look like and they describe it to me and and I, I got thinking you know that that would be pretty amazing to utilize the arts with regard to um, reproductive health because I'm a writer I've written since I was really 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 young and I'm on a journey with, with my writing <laughs> right now. But I think that, especially topics that are very stigmatized, that the, the arts have a lot to offer us. And what I mean by the arts is writing is, um, you know, it could be poetry, it could be spoken word, it could be, um, you know, drawing, it could be, there's so much, you know, that encompasses the arts. But I think that each discipline, each, um, platform has something different to offer and I think uh, you know when we embody our experiences the arts have a lot to have a lot to say there it's a really wonderful medium 
to be able to communicate feeling and emotion and and story. Story work is is a big part of what I intend to do with Reproductively Yours. I think that our stories hold so much power. I know that they do. And we often don't tap into them um, for many different reasons. I think there's sometimes not a premium place on understanding who we are in the context of story. Um, and so I really want to, to, help, to help women um, embrace their stories, but also to delve into story as well with them. Well, that's, that's going to be, so you guys are hearing this. This is uh, <laughs> another platform that's coming online for and about the child is not by choice demographic, but it's going to include the arts. I just think that is so awesome. And so I just can't wait to see more of the platform. And I know that the rest of us cannot wait as well, the rest of the demographic. So we're looking forward to all of the great things you have to offer the demographic and to people who don't fit the demographic, but, but um, we'll be able to see more of how we feel. They'll actually literally be able to see what it is that we deal with and go through and how we're feeling mm -hmm. and how we're making our way through through life and through this world. So yeah. I can't wait to see it get started. Did I miss anything before we close out? Did anything you want to tell the world before we go? Um, no, just that I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on here with you um, to to um, share, you know, um, our stories as well. But also just, I think in reflecting on our conversation is that I said this last year and I, I startled myself by saying it, but um, oftentimes when, you know, we have traumatic experiences, especially we look back and think, oh, you know, mm -hmm. it was horrible. It was traumatic. And they, and it, you know, they are all of those things. But in my experience, I can, I can say that although it was painful, um, although I'm still navigating, you know, uh, certain things, I'm grateful that I went through it. Because I feel that had I not, I don't know that this business would have gotten started. I don't know that I would understand myself in the way that I do now. And I know that when I sit across from another woman and she's explaining um, some of the things she's been through, although I'm not her and she uniquely embodies her own story, mm -hmm. I can look across at her and say, me too. Yeah. And, and mean it. <laughs> I mean it. Wow, that's that's pretty awesome. And so, thank you so much for sharing this time with us today. Thank Christa. you very much for being here. And um, to the listeners, please feel free. I'm going to put the um, contact information for Krista in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And so, please feel free to reach out to her to um, like her page on Facebook. All of these things as she gets going through 2020 with this awesome platform that she has created and is creating. Thank you so very much, Krista. It's totally, Thank you. Really appreciated. And thanks you guys for listening. Um, next month is going to be another great interview, but more on that later. Thanks for tuning into episode 115, the first episode of 2020. I can't wait to, to share the whole rest of the year with you. We have some great things coming up and um, I'll talk to you guys again later. Have a great one. Bye.